Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem, to redeem us from all the wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather here together on Christmas Eve, we thank you for your grace that offers salvation to all people. We thank you for giving us true hope that can only be found in a relationship with Jesus, whom you sent to be born in a manger, to live a perfect life, to die a horrible death, and to be raised back to life so we may have eternal life. In the midst of our Christmas meals, gifts, and traditions, may we remember that Christmas isn't about the presents underneath the tree. Christmas is about the presence of our Savior, Jesus, who died on a tree for us and redeemed us. We light this candle to remind us that as Jesus is the light of the world, we ask you to make that real to everyone in this room, whether for the first time or the millionth time, so we may recognize the life you have for us through Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that you are mighty, that you reign, that you sent a child to be born. You sent a son who was to be given up. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just speak to us now, that I would decrease, you would increase, that you would speak in a powerful, personal, impactful way to each and every person that is here this evening, Lord. We love you. We're grateful for who you are. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as, uh, as we open up our, our Christmas Eve message, um, I hope you guys are comfortable. I have about 57 minutes. I'm just kidding. It's going to be much shorter than that. Um, I want to ask a question, and you're in a safe place, so you can uh, feel safe to, ask this, or to answer this question. Is anybody here afraid of the dark? Okay, so if you raise your hand, I can't see you because of the lights. So again, you're in a safe place. So you're, you're all good to be able to say that. Now, I know we start off with that and it sounds like something that, um, you know, may, maybe it's a, it's a little childish or maybe we don't want to admit it. But I know that like when I hear that, I'm like, I'm not afraid of the dark. And, and it reminds me of when I went to UC San Diego for a, a couple of years. And uh, during my sophomore year, I remembered... Like, in order to prove to myself, because no one else was around, in order to prove to myself that I was not afraid of the dark, I, I put on, like, a scary movie, and, like, I turn off all the lights, and then shortly thereafter, all the lights were back on, um, and it's just this idea of, like, I'm not afraid, and, and you kind of deny that, but, but the truth of the matter is that sometimes uh, we can still be afraid, and, and maybe you're not in that place. Maybe it's something where it reminds me of my daughter, who, uh, my three-year-old, Elise, she, uh, I put her to bed, and just recently, she would just be, I'd be holding her, putting her to sleep, and she would just say, Daddy, Daddy, I'm scared. And I'm like, why, honey? What's going on? And she's really honest. She's like, for no reason. <laughs> and I'm like, it's okay, honey. I'm with you. And then she nuzzles up and rests, knowing that she's safe inside her daddy's arms. And so for maybe some of us this evening, you know, we, we come in, and we think about 
maybe not a physical darkness that we're afraid of, but maybe there's an emotional darkness, a, a relational darkness, maybe a spiritual darkness that we're experiencing, that we're facing, that we're in the midst of. And so we might have real reasons to be afraid. And we may not say it out loud. We may try to put on a, a brave face, but when no one else is around and when the lights are out at the end of the night and it's just us and our prayers on our pillows, that's when we truly recognize, are, are we afraid of the dark? Maybe not because we're afraid something in our, is in our room, but maybe because darkness is when loneliness seems to reign supreme. Or maybe it's because when darkness comes, there's nothing left but our thoughts, our prayers, and just our own wherever we are in our relationship with God or with others near us. Now, I share that because when we are surrounded by darkness, it is so natural for us to want to gravitate towards light. That it's like when you are in a dark room, if there's any light, all of a sudden that's where your attention goes. Or maybe for some of us, if you've ever, uh, when you've gone to a movie theater and then you kind of go out the side door um, and you kind of open the door and it's like you're in a dark room and then they open the door and it's so blinding, it's like you can't even see. Because sometimes we get so used to the darkness we've lived in that we don't even recognize how bright and how blinding light can actually be. So we may not say we're afraid of the dark because we might be comfortable in the dark. But that doesn't mean that we need to stay in the dark. And the reason we bring this up is that we have been in this series on Sunday mornings. And so if you've not joined us and this is your first time or, or you're just coming here for this evening again, thank you so much for joining us. And we're so happy to be here with you. And, and just so you know, we've gone through a series called The Herald, which just means a sign that something is about to happen. And we've been going through this idea from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. But before we even get to Isaiah 9, verse 6, I want to jump up a little bit. It's not on the screen, but I'm just going to read what Isaiah verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 2 says. Because in this time, Isaiah was living in a dark time. That the Israelites were in a season of darkness. That things have been getting worse for thousands of years. That they've experienced real oppression. And, and in the midst of slavery and in the midst of exile, that they've gone through really dark times. And they were hoping for a glimmer of light to which they can gravitate and take hope of and take hold of. But God, seeing his people in the midst of this darkness, gave Isaiah as one of his prophets a vision or, or an idea, a picture of the coming Messiah, the one who would come to rescue, the one who would come to save. And we see that picture in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, which is going to be on the screens for you. And it says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. And over the past four Sundays, we've taken each Sunday for each one of those names of Jesus and take a moment to dive into it and see what that means. What did it mean back then? What does it mean now? And what does it mean for our futures and who Jesus truly is? And so in order for our purposes this evening, we're not going to look at those four names at the bottom of that passage. We're going to look at the, the three things that come at the very beginning. The idea that unto us a child is born, 
Unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Let's start off briefly with this idea that God gave Isaiah a picture of a savior, a messiah, a child is born. He gave a picture of a crib. He gave a picture of a child that was born that had to come from the throne room of heaven that God, the only one who could save us from our sins would be God coming into this world in flesh. That we call that the miracle of the incarnation, that somehow God would come into this world and he took on human flesh, became fully human. And we see that because a child was born. This wasn't a, a full-grown savior that just popped up and said, I'm here to save you from your sins. It was this idea of in a manger, a crib, the, the savior of the world was born just like every one of us was born. But he was born without sin. So we're reminded that is a crib that he came in. And, and, you know, we kind of see kind of this idealistic picture of what the nativity was like. And, and it probably was smelly. And it probably was something where a not so silent night, because any person who's been around a birth knows that those are very rarely silent. But this idea of in a crib, the savior of the world had to come. That he came from the riches of the throne room of heaven into the rags of a manger in an unknown or rarely known town. That we live in a, riches to, a rags to riches society that says we want to follow people that go from the bottom and go to the top. Yet we follow and we have not a rags to riches God, but a riches to rags God. A riches to rags Savior who had everything but gave up everything for you and for me. So we see that unto us a child is born. We see the crib and incarnation. Next we see is the idea that a son is given. This points us not just to the crib, points us to the cross. And it shows us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. That we recognize that a son had to be given, had to be sacrificed. And so as the crib points to the humanity of Jesus, the cross points to the divinity of Jesus, his, how he was fully man, but also fully God, because only God could take upon the sins of the world and have that count as a sacrifice for us, because only God could be perfect. None of us can be perfect on our own. And so we see that a cross points us to the fact that the son was given up for you and for me, that whoever might believe in him, confess with their mouths and believe in their hearts that Jesus is Lord would be saved that we see the incarnation of the crib and we see the resurrection and sacrifice of the cross. And then lastly, we saw that the government would be on his shoulders. This idea that he would not just have a crib, that he would not just have a cross, but that he would wear a crown. That he would be the king of kings, that he would be the lord of lords, that all earthly kingdoms shall pass, but the everlasting kingdom of God shall forever reign. And that we recognize that, yes, he is over governments and he can be over nations and again those fade away yet he stands firm but it also shows us this idea that the crown that he wears although when he was crucified it was a crown of thorns and he was mocked now he wears a crown 
as the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and he wants to be the Lord and King of each and every one of our lives. Not so that he could just say, do this or don't do that, but because he knows best and because he loves us more than we could even understand or fathom. And because, because of that love, he knows how to lead us and he's a trustworthy leader, a trustworthy king, a trustworthy crowned one. And his coronation over the world, but even more so in our own lives is what Christmas reminds us of. Again, that the Christmas is not about the presence under the tree, but the presence of God's son who died on a tree for us. And so as we kind of close this idea, our main point, our main idea we want to get across this evening is that if you've been afraid of the dark, whether you admit it or not, whether you try to put on a bold face or not, whether it's just only you that recognize the darkness or the pain or the heartache in your life, that Jesus came to be the light of the world. And at Christmas, we celebrate and we acknowledge that through his crib and his incarnation, his cross and his resurrection and the crown and his coronation. And God might want to speak to each and every one of you in different places upon that journey. In fact, for some of you, you might just be going through just a really dark time. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's the brokenness that comes with depression and anxiety. Maybe it's just the discouragement that I thought my life would have been different by now. I thought that things would go my way. And you're in the midst of darkness and you're just trying to take hold of any glimmer of light or of hope. And if that's you, may you take hold of his crib tonight. May you take hold of the idea that God saw the darkness of the world and he came down and said, I'm going to send the light of the world, my son Jesus, to walk among you, to live a perfect life, to die a horrible death, but to be raised back to life so that we may have eternal life. So no matter what darkness you are in, that there is a light by Jesus that can bring hope and that we would gravitate towards that light when we're surrounded. So if you were in a place of darkness, may the crib be a reminder of the glimmer of hope and light that Jesus offers. Maybe for some of you, you're not in that place. Maybe you're someone who you got here because you're invited, because a family member said you should come or you could come. Maybe it's just a tradition for you. And again, if that's you, we're glad that it's part of your traditions. But maybe when it boils down to it, you honestly, you just have no interest in Jesus. He doesn't seem relevant, doesn't seem important. Maybe it seems like, you know, something that other people believe in, but maybe not you. And, and maybe it's something where you kind of, honestly, maybe you look down on people that believe for you, I would just encourage you that as the crib might be encouraging for someone who's in a dark place who needs a ray of light, may the cross be encouraging to you or challenge you to the point of recognizing that although you may not have an interest in him, the cross of Jesus reveals the interest that God the Father has in you. That while we were still sinners, while we were still far from God, God demonstrated his own love for us by sending his son, Jesus. That we were once enemies of God, separated from God, and so even right now, if you find yourself separated from God, may the cross show you that God loves you so much that he would send his son to bridge that gap so that you would have an eternal life with him. No matter how many times you may have cursed his name, Jesus took curses upon his name for our sake. So may the cross be a reminder to you that you are able to 
have a right relationship with him because he took an interest in you, although you may not have an interest in him. And then maybe for some of you, you're struggling with a hurt, a habit, a hang-up, a struggle, something that you've kept falling into, something that you feel like is beyond your control. It's so big, a relational issue, maybe a family issue, that it seems so big that no matter how hard you try to make it work, you within your own power cannot get through it. May this be an encouragement to you that we don't have to rely upon our own power, but that Jesus, when he has on the throne and when he is crowned in our lives, that he has the power to break every chain because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so we recognize that maybe for us, we try to wear our own crowns and put our own, be, be in charge of our own lives. And so when you maybe in this evening need to take a moment to remove that crown saying, I'm in charge of my life. And maybe you need to look at the crib and the glimmer of hope it provides. Maybe you need to look at the cross and that he took an interest in you even when you don't have any interest in him. And, and maybe we cast down our crowns at his feet and ask him to be the ruler, the leader, the king in our own lives. And maybe for you, some of you, maybe none of those really matter because the truth of the matter is you can't even think about the crib, the cross, or the crown. You can't even think about the incarnation, resurrection, coronation. You can't even get there because the truth is there's part of you that's still a little bit afraid. There's part of you that's afraid because if I believe in Jesus, that means that things are going to have to change. I'm going to stop, have to stop doing some of the things that I do. I'm going to have to start doing new things. And there's a fear that can happen when we have the crown upon our own heads, when we are the ones in charge of our own lives, and when we are in that position of power. And relinquishing that power is one of the hardest things we can do. But it's when we realize that when we relinquish power and we give God back that power that has already and always been his in the first place. But when we do that is when we experience life and life to the full, life and life everlasting. And so maybe part of you can't even think through where you are in the crib cross crown because there's fear. And as 1 John 4, 18 says that perfect love, godly love, Jesus love drives out all fear. And so if that's you, if I were to ask you deep down, why is it that you're afraid to to believe in Jesus or come into relationship with Jesus or find out more about Jesus. If you're being honest, maybe like my daughter, maybe in honesty, you're saying, for no reason. And if that's you, you, I pray that you would hear God's voice saying, it's okay. I'm with you. Nuzzle up next to me and fall asleep resting in your father's arms, for you are safe. For some of you, father is a word that is harsh and it grates to you like nails on a chalkboard. And there's wounds there that are too far to dive into in 10 minutes that we have here. But if that's you, I just pray that you would hear the father's voice whisper to you that no earthly dad, as bad as he may be, as good as he may be, as good, bad, or ugly, no earthly dad can ever truly encapsulate the nature of fatherhood and all that is good as a father that comes through our God. Maybe for you, father's what you need to ask God to be so that Jesus can become crib, cross, crown, and he can embody that in your life. And so this evening, as we close, 
I just hope that wherever you are, whether you've heard the gospel for the first time, whether you've never heard it before, whether you've grown up in the church, that you wouldn't let this evening pass and just already start thinking about the presents under the tree tomorrow or, or where you're going to eat or any of these sorts of things, but that you wouldn't let a moment pass that if God is stirring at your hearts and he's making your heart beat a little bit faster, if your palms are getting a little sweaty and you don't know what that is, perhaps it's the voice of the father saying, don't be afraid. I've sent my son in the crib to give you a glimmer of light. I've sent my son on the cross to show my interest in you so you may have new life. And I've sent my son to wear a crown because following him will not be easy, but it will be good. We hope that this Christmas might be the first time that the crib, the cross, the crown, and father become real to you. And so our Father, we do thank you for who you are and we do pray that you would speak and stir within hearts. I pray, God, that you would just reveal yourself in whatever part of the story of crib, cross, crown, whatever part of the story of Father, whatever part of the story that people need to take hold of, may you speak in a clear, true, loving whisper that is not one of condemnation, but is one of invitation to say, sweet child, you may have no reason for fear, but that's okay. I am with you. Come, come into relationship with me. Come and rest in my arms. So Lord, may you speak, may you move, and may we have a clearer, more deeper understanding of Christmas through the crib, the cross, and the crown. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.